0: And as I was preparing to preach this Sunday, I did birthday chapel. It was actually this week. And it struck me just how appropriate this is. You see, spiritually, we all wear a crown from the day that we are born. We all wear a crown from the day that we're born. In fact, from the moment of conception. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that we are all conceived with the desire to be the one in charge of our own lives doing things how we want to do them and in our own strength it is the original sin going all the way back to Adam and Eve and the garden of Eden well today I want to ask you a strange question what are you wearing on your head what are you wearing on your head now you may think well obviously I'm not wearing anything at all on my head nothing looks as stupid as your birthday crown Jonathan <laughs> can't you see that I don't actually see any fancy bonnets or hats out there. Maybe some sunglasses on your head. That's about it. But all of us are metaphorically wearing one of two things on our heads. Okay? A crown like this or a flame like the one that we hear in our reading in Acts chapter 2 today. Which one is it for you? Whichever one it is will make a difference in your life and in the kind of fruit you bear. So let's turn to our readings for today and see what God would reveal to us through his word. And so you're not distracted throughout the whole sermon, I'm going to take this off right now. There you go. Well, the first reading um, is from uh, Genesis. It's about the Tower of Babel. It's our Old Testament reading. And it's a story that you may have heard in Sunday school. Anyone hear this story in Sunday school, maybe? Tower of Babel. And some of you may never have heard it at all. That's okay. It's a pretty tr- uh, strange story. Because you wonder, what are these folks doing that's so bad that they deserve judgment from God? Verses 1 through 3. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Now, nothing sounds too bad there, does it? It sounds like a pretty good building project. Yeah? And they're all speaking the same language. They can all understand each other. But once we start to dig a little bit deeper, we discover that going east as it speaks of in verse 2, is always a sign in Scripture of moving away from God. As commentator Kent Hughes puts it, when Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden, cherubim guard the entry at the east of the Garden of Edom. When Lot left Abraham, he traveled eastward, where he met disaster in Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham's sons by his concubine, Keturah, were sent away from his son Isaac, eastward toward the east country. Jacob fled his homeland to the land of the people of the east. Here in the tower story, the people's eastern migration depicts universal rebellion. They have moved outside the place of blessing. And we see that rebellion is further confirmed in verse 4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the of the whole earth. Instead of learning from Adam and Eve and the fall of mankind, they make the exact same mistake of seeking to be God for themselves. Look, they want to make a place with a tower in the top in the heavens where God resides. And so instead of obeying obeying God's post-flood command to Noah to fill the earth, Genesis 9 verse 1, they choose to settle in one place, one place, and to seek to make their own name great, not the name of the Lord. They are choosing the crown over the flame, if you will. And so God, because of his love and his grace, because of his love and his grace, he punishes the people for their disobedience, confusing their language and dispersing them throughout the world as they were supposed to. His heart is that they would still find their true identity in him and not in their own achievements. And scripture reveals the good news that one day God will reverse what happened that day in Babel. Yeah, in Zephaniah, we read this, "For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. Zephaniah is answering the effects of Babel. And then comes the Messiah, Jesus, and his death and resurrection and Pentecost, when each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Again, a reversal of Babel and a sign of the last days when all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So we shouldn't leave Babel hopeless because it's not God's last word. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2, our second reading, and see that. The disciples there, they gathered, perhaps 120 of them, according to Acts chapter 1, and they gathered in the upper room. And they're actually doing, for once, what they're supposed to be doing. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. In Acts 1, verses 4 and 5, Luke writes this. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. They are to wait, not to depart from Jerusalem. And so they're doing that. They are not dispersing. They're gathering in one place in Jerusalem. And then we discover that Jesus has ascended. And in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, we read, the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath-day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And notice that as they are obedient to God's commands, to what Jesus tells them to do, laying down their crowns, what he promises will happen actually happens. Fancy that. Acts chapter 2 we heard it read. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It's the Jewish feast of Pentecost. And uh, so it's not originally a Christian feast, this feast. You might think it was, but it's not. It was a thanksgiving for the first fruits of the wheat harvest, 50 days after the Passover. But more importantly now, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And thousands of Jews from all over the known world are gathered together in Jerusalem to celebrate. And in this upper room, somewhere in the heart of Jerusalem, the disciples are meeting and they're praying. And suddenly the Holy Spirit just falls upon them in power and their crowns are replaced by tongues of fire. They begin to speak in a way that everyone there can understand them. And as they spill out into the streets, people start to say, are not all these who were speaking Galileans? In other words, not well-educated men. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. In other words, people from all over the world. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Do you see what's happening here? Maybe a light bulb's going off. How it relates to our Old Testament story. This is an event that is reversing the effects of Babel. Now everyone can once again understand each other. And there's no need to build a tower to become like God. No. God is coming down to earth by the power of his Holy Spirit to come and dwell within his people. And it's not man that is being glorified, but God. This is how it was always meant to be. And finally, God now has a group of folks who are ready to be used for this purpose. The first disciples, men and women, the early church, the first church, these 120 folks have laid down their crowns and now they're ready to be used by God. Now they can be filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to do what God wants them to do, which is to share the good news, the good news that they've received, that the kingdom of God is here and is for all people, not just a chosen nation or a chosen few. And he's the one who's going to provide the strength they need to fulfill his mission you know after Jesus left them they must have been pretty fearful wondering how could they possibly cope without him but as he said in our gospel reading and as Pentecost begins to prove it is to their advantage that he goes away to their advantage And what does he mean? Well, let's turn to our final reading and see about that. John chapter 16, the passages from John's gospel, what's become known as the farewell discourse, because it's the final teaching that Jesus gives to his disciples before he goes to the cross, Monday, Thursday. And as they hear Jesus teach about leaving them, as I just said, they must have been pretty scared. For three years, they've had him to lead them, to guide them, to encourage them, to help them. But now he's gone to be uh, now he's going to be gone. Now, I don't know if you've ever followed a great sports team. Um, I certainly have followed some great sports teams, like the Packers and, of course, Liverpool and so on. Some of you have not been so blessed. That's okay. But when you follow a great sports team, usually they have a great coach, don't they? A great coach. The problem is that most coaches eventually retire or they die. Even Nick Saban's going to retire one day, Marlo. I know. It's going to happen. hate to say it. And when that happens, you think... Oh my goodness, how on earth are we going to cope? How is our team going to be as good without this great coach? Or it may be that you had a fantastic boss once. You think that boss leaves and you think, how are they going to replace that person? Or maybe you had an excellent teacher, but you're about to graduate. You think, how am I going to, I'm going to move up a grade. I'm going to leave that teacher behind. How am I going to cope without them? Well, I think the disciples must have been feeling very similar. And yet in verse 7, he says this, which they must have thought was ridiculous. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Jesus knows that the Holy Spirit is what they need now. See, he's not going to leave them on their own. In fact, in the form of the third person of the Trinity, God himself is going to come down and be present in the hearts of all those who repent and believe in him and are baptized by water and the Spirit. Whereas Jesus in his incarnated form as a human could only be present to thousands at most, think of the feeding of the 5,000 perhaps, now God is going to be present wherever a believer is, to thousands or millions or even billions of people. This is to our advantage. And having revealed this, Jesus then tells the disciples what the Spirit will do. He'll be their helper. He's going to comfort them, strengthen them, walk alongside them in all that they do. Secondly, he's going to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. They don't have to do that. They go out and proclaim the gospel. It is the Spirit that will do the work of convicting uh, about sin and righteousness and judgment. As Billy Graham once said, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge. And my job to love. Unfortunately, we sometimes flip it on its head, don't we? And we become judge for people and we try and convict them. But it's our job to love them and to pray for them and let the Spirit do that work. Well, thirdly, he's going to guide us. He'll guide those who are filled with him into all truth. As one commentator puts it, we will grow as he further illuminates the scriptures to us. It's partly why we gather on Sundays, gathering life groups. We, the spirit works in this place in our groups, illuminating scripture to us. That does not mean we will have all knowledge regarding the sciences, but we will be taken deeper and deeper into the essential truth about God and Christ and eternal life and our souls. The expression, all the truth connotes increasing liberation, liberation for the truth makes us free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, right? We will increasingly be given the mind of Christ as the spirit takes what is Christ's and discloses it to us. And then finally, he says he will reveal the things that are to come through his word, through prophecy, through words of knowledge. Yes, he's going to guide his people, you and me, concerning the future. Have you ever wondered why you struggle to do the things God asks you to do? wondered about that I bet you have at some stage or to be the person that he wants you to be it's most likely because you're trying to do it in your own strength you're trying to do it all in your own strength rather than in the power of the Holy Spirit and I think this can be sometimes because of ignorance of who the Holy Spirit is we might be fearful of him in some way or just lacking understanding about what he can do or it can be a trust issue that we don't believe God when he says that he will equip us if we will let him fill us with the power of his spirit or that we're concerned that we may not like what he asks us to do or who he asks us to be. We might be thinking, I don't have time for that or I didn't sign up for that or what if it eats into my leisure time? What if I start to get too exuberant in my worship? Heaven forbid. What if I start to speak or sing in tongues? (laughs) What if my friends or my family or my neighbors think I'm weird? Reality check. Some of them already do. All right. (laughs) What if he gets too close and he shines a light in the dark corners of my life? There's a trust issue, right? What if he starts to work at those places where there's pain and there's brokenness and there's unforgiveness, maybe addictions? What will that cost me? If I let him fill me with my spirit and as the light comes in, he starts to work on those things. So even though we may come to Christ, even though we may have been a part of the church all of our lives, some of us still want to keep the crown on. We want to keep control, believing the lie that we know what we need best, not God, not the one who, who knows us better than we know ourselves. But the good news is that Pentecost changes all of that. Metaphorically speaking, our crowns can be replaced with flames, tongues of fire. It's no longer we who are in control, but God himself who comes to live within us, healing us and then leading and guiding us wherever he would have us go and to the people he would have us love and minister to and share the gospel with. However hard that may sound, it will be what we are meant to do. This is life in all of its fullness. This past week, as I think most of you know already, we lost a dear friend and brother in the Lord, Rich bunchu Rich lived on Daniel Island with his wife, Mel, and he attended this contemporary service for many, many years. And at the age of 43, Rich died way too young, succumbing to ALS after a battle of four years or so. But the good news is that Rich loved the Lord. Man, he loved the Lord. He loved him. And as I met with him over the last years or months, the one thing he was keen for everyone he loved to encounter was the power of the Holy Spirit. It had transformed his life, and he longed for it to transform others. He was convinced, as am I, that unless you are filled with the power of the Spirit, you are missing out on the good stuff of God's kingdom. Now, being a car enthusiast, he would have likened it to owning an amazing car, probably a Porsche, knowing rich, but never ever putting gas in the tank and taking it for a spin. Foolish, right? And if he were here today he would have said to each and every one of us, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Ask God to fill you and live your life in the power of the Spirit. This is what Pentecost is all about. As the evangelist David Wilkerson once said, when you strip it of everything else, Pentecost stands for power and life. That's what came into the church when the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. So today, are you wearing a crown or a flame? If it's a crown, then it's time to lay it down at the cross and to ask God to forgive you, fill you with his life and his power. And if you've never been baptized, to do that too as soon as possible. And then ask him where he would have you go, And who he would have you share the good news of the kingdom with today, right now, today, through loving actions and loving words. Might today be a birthday of a sort for you, a new birth to life in the power of the Spirit. I wonder what God's calling you to, that without the power of the Holy Spirit, you cannot do. Because in his strength, you can do all things. Let's pray. Encourage you to put your hands out in a receiving position, like so. Nothing weird about it, just normal. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, come like the wind that came that first Pentecost. Come and blow through us, Lord, and blow off the crowns on our heads. Would they be thrown down at the foot of the cross, recognizing we cannot save ourselves, but we need you to save us and to come and fill us with the power of the Spirit that we might serve you, be led by you, be guided by you to all the places you would have us go, living life in your power, in your strength, and being bringers of the kingdom of God throughout this world. We pray this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ.